0: of The Gloving Paradigm, where I am your host, Peter, aka LPD Dubuque, the cringiest glover on YouTube, and I just realized I don't have my gloves on. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of The Gloving Paradigm, where I am your host, Peter, aka LPD Dubuque, the cringiest glover on YouTube. Wow, what do you say after that one? Brutal? Savage? Wrecked. Absolutely taken down. Yep. Because that's how I do my opening still. Meanwhile. Alrighty, so what is it this week that I want to cover? Well, with all my other previous episodes i put out there and some of the questions that people like to keep asking me, another thing kept coming up. So, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, I made a wonderful episode on Morphing, which you can go check out right over here. You just click on this thing go check it out. It was really good. A lot of good feedback came from it. One of the major things that I will certainly find out is that somebody likes to watch some of my old, old stuff and not watch any of my new, new stuff and assume that all my stuff is like that. It's like this person thinks that people can't change over time or grow to get better at things. You know, kind of like the more you work at your gloving, the better you become. Wait, what? Just saying. Your music's bad and you should feel bad. So, this week, I'm going to take time to cover another concept and add to my lovely little list of my concept catalogue Because some people care about that So that was a fucking lie What is it this week that I want to cover? It's very simple It is a very simple concept to understand It's a little bit harder to keep it Or it's a little bit harder to master in terms of its full capabilities And that is the box theory Now, one major thing I want to say before we go right into box theory is that there's something I need to kind of of dispel in the community. So, you have box theory, and then you have the grid. Two different things. A lot of people are going to sit there and be like, they're the same thing. No, no, they're not. They are not the same thing. Okay. Funny thing is, I actually did a concept catalog on the grid, which you'll find... Right over there. You know where I'm pointing on the screen. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find that that it's not the same. Okay. So just to kind of do a quick summary, the grid is literally just a way for you to define parameters in the space between you and your viewer. And how do you do that? You do it by knowing horizontally, vertically, or laterally. If you guys know what a Rubik's cube looks like, you're Drawing that in your mind on the field to your viewer. That is the grid. That way you can literally work about all the space and you have all that to do. Box theory is not that. Box theory is a framing device just like the grid is, but this is a different type of framing device. So, first thing that we're going to do is we're going to define what the box theory is. Box theory is literally just a conceptual construct using the viewer's field of vision as a playing field to achieve a hypnotic trance-like state of mind by performing within that framework to keep the viewer from moving their head and their eyes. That is box theory. Okay, that is the best way I'm going to define it to you. Now, the best way to help you visualize this is that you do this every day. You Box theory is placed on you every day. Single day. How? By looking at your phone, by looking at your computer, by watching TV. Why is that considered box theory? It's because, well, yeah, you're in a box. And everything that's happening within the box, you don't have to move your eyes or head to watch it all. It's just all there. Say what? So, that's the idea is that you're going to try to put your performance in a form of a box, in terms of a frame, to put it all in there so your viewer doesn't have to move their head to follow it or to the greatest extent their eyes whatever you say stone cold steve austin i'm owning it so there are two main styles on thing gloving that really utilize this to their greatest advantage over time now i'm not saying that all gloving styles don't use this but these are the two ones that will always come to mind when it comes to box theory and that is impacting and morphing Again. If we haven't go check out my episodes on those, I even have a playlist on Archetypes of Gloving. Go check it out. Yes, these are the two main ones that will use it the most. Yes, Conjuring can do it the same, just I haven't really seen a lot of Conjurers use it to their greatest sense. Early Conjurers did a lot, but not as much anymore. It is a framing construct that a lot of people kind of lost favor in. And that's fine. Most people are not really interested in doing that. Because this is a very particular way that you're going to structure your show based on using the the box theory. Just like how most people structure their shows around the grid. Oh. So, the thing that people need to understand when it comes to box theory is, what is it trying to achieve by putting itself in that frame? Okay, why why do we want to put ourselves in, within that framework of box theory to our viewer? It is basically like I said in my previous episodes on morphing and impacting is to disrupt, distort, and disorient your viewers' field of vision. I know that's gonna sound confusing to a lot of people and it was when I did my morphing episode, so allow me to elaborate. If you're trying to understand what is it the visual effect that you're trying to see or your viewers trying to see when you're going through and using box theory, the best way I'm going to put it to you is Do you guys remember the, um, those optical illusion videos on YouTube that make you like watch it for like 30 seconds and then they make you look away? That's the idea that you're trying to achieve. You're trying to achieve that effect by happening. And here's the funny thing is that a lot of people don't realize, box theory has been used on you before in a video game. Everybody remember Guitar Hero? Yeah, that game, you know that South Park episode, that was... Haha, oh, I love this song! Yeah, that one, that, that was pretty funny. Yeah, Guitar Hero <laughs> or Rock Band or anything equivalent to that, any rhythm game, I guess I would say, actually does this to you. So, if you watch those optical illusions and then you look away and you watch the visual field get all distorted and go back to normal, Same thing kind of happens when you play Guitar Hero slash any rhythm game, because, why? It's because, one, you're watching a frame, which is your TV, and you're watching all this motion happening. Once you look away from there, you'll actually have some visual distortive effects because your eyes adjusted to that movement so quickly that when you look away, it's still trying to capture that movement, therefore you have that visual distortion. That is what Box is trying to use. That's what Box Theory is aiming for. And if you're able to achieve that, boom, you got it. All right. Here's the thing that makes it so difficult for people to understand. is because you as the performer don't know if it's working or not. Because you're not the viewer. That's the thing. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say... That the way you're gonna know if your viewer's in box theory and it's working on them is to go, Ugh. no, it's no, because people are gonna have different reactions and they're gonna have different facial expressions when it comes to that trans like state of mind. But you're gonna kinda know over time when you got your viewer in that trans like state, when they kinda look like they're zombified out. Very similar to how they look like on TV. You know, when, when people watch TV for a long period of time, yeah um okay so a lot of people are going to ask themselves well why would i want to use the box theory why would i want to use it to do that to somebody well that was a lot that was kind of the consensus for a lot of people in the early days of gloving is that was the goal that you're trying to achieve i will certainly say that yes that is still the goal that you're trying to achieve but i feel like a lot of people are going to tell you that you don't have to use the box theory in order to achieve that trans-like state of mind to your viewer that's certainly true There are many different other ways you can do it. As long as you are able to hypnotize your viewer in that state. You don't have to use the box theory. To a lot of us old head glovers, we're just going to be able to, or we're just going to tell you that this is the easiest and greatest way to do it. Is it the only way? No, but it is the easiest and greatest way to do it. Okay. So one of the things that people are going to learn when it comes to box theory, when you had to, you got somebody in there is that causal effects or causal sequencing, which if you don't know what causal sequencing is, is cause and effect. Okay, I call it causal sequencing because it is, you're doing something that causes an effect to happen in sequences to each other. Causal sequences. Make it stop, make it stop. So a good example of like a causal sequence is like having something be able to pull something up like that, right? or even turning and causing another thing to happen. This is cause and effect right here. Yeah. To my listeners, I know I keep forgetting about you guys sometimes, I'm sorry, but if you're just imagining me holding my fists with my thumbs pointed out, palms facing the roof, and I take my right thumb and I point it upwards towards the roof and then I point it back horizontally at the same time I move my left thumb to point vertically as I go horizontal with my right thumb and go back and forth. That's cause and effect, okay? Or, causal sequencing. This is the worst! Another major thing I will certainly say here is that A lot of viewers who understand box theory want to have it happen. They want that visual distortion. They want to see all the crazy visual glitches that happen through box theory, okay? there's nothing wrong with that. I'm one of those people. I like I like having that visual distortion because I don't have to work. You are the one who's doing all the work for me to cause the visual distortion. Okay, all I have to do is just experience your, your show to get it. So to help a lot of people understand the framing of box theory or how to know the best way to frame the box on your viewer is a good to me, my good rule of thumb is that about three inches from your face or from the face of your viewer, you don't want to go any higher than the top of their forehead and you don't want to go any lower than probably the top of their lip to maybe the bottom of their to their bottom lip in terms of where you stand in front of your viewer. You basically want to use three inches. You want to use the frameworking of their face to do that. Now that is to me what I would say is like the sweet spot to know to stay within the box. Okay, but you gotta be, like, that close to, you know, to do that. Now, do you have to be that close all the time? No. The farther you go back, the higher and lower you can go because... Huh. How to put this? You guys remember from Star Wars Episode 4 when they're going through the trench and they use the onboard computer? Switch to targeting computer. (laughs) Yeah, that thing that you are the pilot you put that on your viewer that is the box that is how you're going to frame it okay you know the closest point really really tight the farther back you go the the wider you can be and taller you can be okay that's how you work with it again the goal to this entire idea is that you're keeping your viewers head locked in place they don't have to move it and they don't even have to move their eyes everything is just happening in their field of vision that's why some people find it too hard and find it unnecessary to do because it's really, really difficult for somebody who is performing to somebody who's viewing. You're, n- as the performer, you don't know what your viewer is necessarily seeing. So you don't know if you're actually going outside of the box or not. Here's one thing i trying to say when it comes to the box. It's okay to go outside of it. It's okay to have a hand go out of it. Impacting does it all the time. There are reasons why you see certain impacting moves be the way that they are. And I'll get to that in a minute. But it's okay to go outside of the box. Just when you go outside of the box with both hands, do not be out of there too long because then you break it. You gotta bring, you gotta bring something back in to start disrupting that field. But going outside of the box for a moment to get, let the eyes rest for a second is a good thing because it's kind of like resetting them back down to base so you can shock them again. so what can you do inside the box once you have the box well you can do anything really but we're gonna go over some of the tactics that certain styles use so let's go with impacting to start it off so impacting like I've stated in previous episodes its goal is to disrupt the field of vision and its goal or its method of achieving that I should say is with the thumbs, with the iNova lights, the contrast, of colors. Not only that is that red is the longest wavelength of visible light and blue is the shortest wavelength of visible light. So what tends to happen is when you're blasting your viewer with red light, you're helping their rods and cones kind of relax because red light doesn't affect your rods and cones. Blue light on the other hand, hits them really hard and shocks them really hard. So when you actually see someone using a lot of red for a little bit and then you get hit with that blue, it feels way more impactful. It's beautiful. Because of that, you, you see how that works? Yeah, cool. That is one major thing. It overwhelms the sentences in that, that case. The other tactic that Impacting likes to use is the surprise. So that's why when you see them like doing a strobe and they only have their thumb light there and it's still in the box, there's something that they're still having to watch and then boom, they come in with another light and they don't see that other light coming in, boom, you have that surprise. It still hits your viewer, but guess what, your viewer isn't going to be like, Oh god, I'm out, no, you're going to be entranced, like that still entrances your viewer, that still works. That's how impacting goes about it. Now, if you guys, man, I don't know what happened to this video, I just so happen to have it on my computer. But Skittles had a really good way of demonstrating the box. Okay, you'll see how he does a lot of movements within the box and how he stays within this framework. Yes, you'll see him doing things where he actually goes outside of the box, but comes right back in. When he goes outside of the box, it's only a brief moment and everything comes back right back in. Again, you gotta think about you're putting everything on a TV screen for your viewer to watch everything that you're doing. Okay, does that make any sense? When it comes to Morphine's tactics on disrupting field vision, is with its seamless transitions and its movements that causes a trance-like effect. Uh, if you think about putting somebody in a trance by, or hypnotizing them with a pendulum, you know, that's one way. Uh, as weird as it sounds, have you ever sat there and stared at a ceiling fan for a very long time? You're hypnotizing yourself in that way. That's kind of how Morphine goes about it. And it's with that constant stream of movements happening. That's why a lot of people say that they do like watching morphing. They wish that they just slowed down enough to see what they're doing. Well, that's why they're moving that quickly. is because it's to put you in a translated state of fact where you're not supposed to sit there and analyze every single meticulous movement in a certain way. No, you're just supposed to absorb that movements into your vi- into your field of vision. Okay, that is, that is the goal. Alright, alright, I get it! The other thing that morphing will also use Pull tactics, it's speed tactics. There, you know, that whole pendulum effect I said in my previous episode. You know, the speeding up and slowing down, speeding up and slowing down, speeding up and slowing down. That also pulls off a very trance-like state effect to your viewer. And morphine, another huge major component I don't think I actually pointed out when it came to morphine is that since they have constant connection with their hands and their wrists and things of that nature. It's really easy for them to stay within the box theory because if they don't have to disconnect their hands and do all the things that they want to do, they stay within that small little box. You see how that works? That's, that's the idea, okay? Now, when it comes to conjuring, I'll say this. Conjuring and impacting use very, very similar tactics. However, we're not going to go into the big deal of... You guys, at this point, should know the difference between conjuring and impacting. So Conjuring in this effect is just going to use a lot of sleight of hand, distraction, misdirection as its focal point because that's what Conjuring likes to do. That's one of its, I don't want to say gimmick because gimmick just sounds like a bad thing sometimes but that is its main gimmick and it's a good thing. Okay, that's what makes Conjuring so unique just from Impacting because Impacting does definitely likes to do a lot of the entrancing box theory style effects. Conjuring really wants to put on a performance of a show like magic does, you know, a magician, a street magician, street performers, you know, and that's totally fine. That's one of the greatest things about Conjuring and what makes it so unique from all the other styles is that you get to be a magician of sorts with your hands and with the lights. So yes, it will still use the surprise and overwhelming tactics that impacting has. It can also use the entrancing movements and speed tactics that morphing has. However... Using the distraction and misdirection within box theory, that's really, really a lot of fun because then you can get some really cool distortive effects. Okay? So, if you're asking me advice between being a viewer or a performer, this is it's kind of simple. It's there's only one thing that the viewer needs to do in order for them to try to go for that box theory effect. Okay. So if you are a viewer, all you need to do is stare into the center most center field of vision. So middle distance center. All you have to do is just stare right there and just kind of relax your eyes and just let the movements happen. Do not look, don't try to follow the movements. Just let the movements happen. That's when you're going to start seeing this distortion happening in your field of vision through the movements that they're doing. Now, if they manage to actually stay within the box theory, the effect becomes much, much stronger. Okay, and the longer you stay in there, the effect is also much, much stronger. And if you're able to achieve that effect for a long period of time, then your viewer is just going to be... What What the hell was that? I've said this before but if you are the performer get familiar with your distances and understand and this is something that's going to take quite a bit of time to get used to but you want to use the face as the frame when you're up close do not go any higher than the forehead don't go any lower than the bottom lip okay that when you're three inches apart that's all you need to do so when they're staring center speed or center mass at the viewer, or at the performer, they don't have to move their eyes, and you don't have to go far. As you can see, I'm not going any higher than my forehead. I'm not going any lower than my bottom lip. That's all you need to do. The farther back you go, the higher you can go. The closer you are, the tighter it needs to be. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's basically box theory when it comes to how to frame it, okay? And the goal, again, is to have a disruption. So, what are ways that you can disrupt the field of vision to your viewer? Well, you got depth perception moves, you know, you have things like this, where you have something happening in front, but you also have something big enough happening in the back, your viewers are seeing that. They have to focus on two points in space at the same time. This causes distortion, you know, this little, this little thing tends to happen. If you are my listeners, I'm literally just having one hand up at the front waving and the other hand in the back waving. Two different things happening at once that causes distortion. Okay. Another key huge thing like I've shown before, but it's called stream I some people call it string crossing. It's the best way I can describe it. it. Is basically when you take two your take your hands and you go over cross over each other, whether it's like just finger rolls or any of that stuff. You know, uh, pokes and pass-throughs is another good example for that, that will cause that visual distortion because you're watching two things moving in two different directions. You know, not only that, if you're crossing them over like grape lining, you're causing two lines to go over each other and they have to follow with both eyes crisscrossing their eyes, again, causing that disruption. Another huge thing I will certainly say when it comes to like distortions or certain techniques that you can do. to help with that kind of distortion and things like I would like to call the slinky method so if you actually take a slinky and go like this you know this helps with the distortion right I call that the slinky method uh, another very <laughs> very great one that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that tunnels are perfect in box theory so you don't have to do much you just do your tunnels from your viewer they don't have to move their eyes and they literally get this Beautiful hypnotic effect happening in their face, right? That's literally all you gotta do. Nice. So, there again, when it comes to box theory, it is literally just simply understanding it as a framing device. Do you have to use it? No. You can use the grid if you want. You don't have to use the grid either. You know, you can just do whatever you want. But when it comes to box theory, it is all about making sure you stay within the field of vision where your viewer's head does not have to move, and to the greatest extent, their eyes. And it's the big, key moment, alright? So, I think that pretty much covers everything I need to cover about Box Theory. If you have any questions on Box Theory that you're not really sure on, please let me know. I'm more than willing to help you out, but this is the best way I have always described it to people. And that's the effect that they're trying to go for and once people realize what the effect is supposed to look like then they really want to try to go for it because they want to hit people like that and I don't blame them because box theory is really cool like that but other than that that's pretty much all for my episodes thank you to everybody who's watched less listening so far if it wasn't to your continued silent moral support and not this kind of commenting it makes my show a lot better and not predicated on very very old material funny it's funny when people say that I need to have resources for them to have examples of they don't check my description where I I have tutorials linked when you see my concept catalogs check the description Yep, that's pretty much all for my episode. Thank you once again to everybody who's shown me support so far. If you want to help me get farther on production and things like that, you have the wonderful opportunity to donate to my Ko-fi. Yes, I do have a Ko-fi, so please donate to my Ko-fi for one-time donations. So I may continue to listen to Lo-fi. I'm out of here. Yep, that's all for my episode. I absolutely love you guys, but I am your host, Peter, aka LPD8, the, the cringiest glover on YouTube. And I'll see you guys all next week.